0: Thank you so much, uh, Jane, and good morning to you all again. Um, If you would like, like Jane, to serve in that way, reading God's word in this time whilst we're online, would you send me an email this week? I know many of you might think, oh, I wouldn't put myself forward for something like that. Can you see it the other way around for me? And if you think I could do that, uh, I would love it if you would, and um, we can put you on the rotor, the reading rotor, and we can have, uh, different faces. It's just lovely to see different faces reading and taking part in the services. So, Jane, thank you so much for bringing that word this morning. Um, two fantastic stories of Jesus, and we're gonna go there in a moment, but most of you know, um, that have been tuning in, even if you've been new to our church tuning in, or if you've known me for many years, I am uh, the father of four lovely kids and often they are left and right of me here and I feel a little bit oh uh, a little bit like something's missing uh, when they're not sat here on a Sunday morning Um, but you know one of the most strange things about being a dad and being a parent is that my kids are now each one of them going through different stages going through things that I remember going through myself that is very very bizarre as an adult looking at your own children going through the same worries and joys Fears and excitements that you went through. I remember my first week at secondary school, and Archie's recently gone through that. I remember how that felt. I remember the excitement of Christmas mornings, and I can see it now in their face. Um, I remember being read the enormous caterpillar story. Who doesn't? What an amazing story that one is. Little Harry, he, he knows it off by heart, so he reads it to me as we're going through the pages. Such a joy. I remember what it feel, felt like to wear clunky black school shoes or the joy of riding my bike around the park and feeling really big and grown up and watching kids TV on a Saturday morning. Or speaking of being really grown up, my first trip to the corner shop or the first time I chewed gum, how mature I felt chewing this minty gum. Um, and then I'm going through it and it's just lovely to see it. But here's the thing. I also really remember church. Because I was brought up in a Baptist church, Taunton Baptist church, just down the road. And I remember all the older people being so much bigger than me um, and standing around drinking cups of coffee and talking. And I remember looking up at them and sometimes, most of the time, getting a lovely smile back. Occasionally being told off for taking too many biscuits. So clearly nothing changes. Every generation of children, that is your task to sneak as many biscuits as you can, without the grown-ups going, oh, excuse me, that's one too many. Um, but actually, church for me was a safe place. Church for me was a warm memory, and the kindness and love shown to me as a little kid by those grown-ups and by that family still means so much to me. It really does. Church was a family, a big, odd, far-from-perfect family, but a loving family nonetheless, And as a little kid, I got that. I knew this. And I want to say to you, my kids get that also about our church family. But there's one thing that they're experiencing now, of course, that I never experienced and none of us experienced, even if we were brought up in a church. And that's what we're going through now. A period where church can't gather in person, or at least certainly not in the way we want to, certainly not in the way we almost feel we need to. We have to gather online. Now, even in this difficult period, my kids still want to come and and take part and contribute in person online. Now, I don't put them up as a prop. If you're ever wondering, no one's ever accused me of this. But if you're ever thinking, oh, what's Matt? you know, does he make his kids? You must come and sit next to me and do that. It's not like that at all. I simply say to them, do you want to help me this morning? Say hi to people. And I get an enthusiastic yes. And, you know, I'm humbled and so appreciative, particularly those of you who are more elderly. And I've had a few more this week who have sent me a message to say how much it means to you seeing my kids just messing about and being there and being present on a Sunday morning. And you've wanted me to thank them. And I've passed those thanks on to them each time. Of course, they don't really understand how much that means. But 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 they realize that they're loved and they're appreciated. Um, It's not that my kids are special. It's not. Um, They get special treatment as pastor's kids. It just so happens that they're at home uh, with me here. And when we do church at home, it's natural, just like when we do church, when we gather um, together physically, that they're around and they want to take part because all of our children in church are hugely important hugely significant they're cherished and a loved part of our church family and honestly if you could see what my kids have been up to today with the cosmic team Ali on the screen teaching them how to make crafts they've got Harry's out there cutting little circles out with these spinny things. They've got lamps about the light of the world. They're making crafts. They've got these amazing bags full of stuff. They realise that church cares. And I want to thank every single person who's still leading our children's work and our youth work so amazingly and so creatively, particularly Ali um, and those you've headed up to do these amazing packs that all our kids have received. But even though we've got that, we still do like a kid's song. And a kid's bit or an all age talk in our services, you might think, Matt, why do you want to do that? We could just drop that bit during this time, surely. But no, even though we have the most fantastic kids provision, which is far better than anything I could do on here. I think it's really important that every child still realizes that this isn't the adult bit and, and their bit is, you know, they're not really included, but that that church is something that they are valued in. They are loved in and we care about them. And. I'd still do it for us, guys, even if the kids went, I'm not even going to tune into the first bit. We still need to be a family who is prepared to hear the word of the Lord spoken in such a way that a child can understand. To go back to the simple basics. Sometimes we still to be a family who don't take ourselves ever so seriously and religiously that we wouldn't dare stand up and be a bit silly and do a silly song and have some actions and laugh and joke and cheer and I love the fact that that's who we are as Creech and doing those little bits keep us in this season the family church that we are or rather the church family that we are and as Mig said next week we have a family service which I'm looking forward to. Now it's so important to remember folks in this season that we really are as Mig said church family and that we're all in this together. Because I know many of you will be finding this season personally tough. I want to say I am too. It is not easy. This is not how church uh, should be or how we want it to be or how we need it to be. But the thing that we have chosen to focus on most of all is that we're in this together. And that's why we do church in the way that we're doing it. Church at home as family together because i know that some of you might be itching to go back to a building and find a way and just have 40 of us sat separated whatever but but 90% of people either don't want that right now or can't access that right now and so at the moment we're making our choices for those the vast majority and the majority of folks who are part of our church whether that's the older or the vulnerable or those that could make it or can't make it those who are prepared to come or not we're making the decision together in a way that we're all able to access or at least the most of us are able to access this way of doing church and it is odd but it won't be forever and whilst it is it is for each of us to still commit the time to come expectantly as Tony said to come with joy and expectation to meet with Jesus in this way i know if you're anything like me you can't wait to the day we're back together i can't i can't wait to hear all your cheers and laughter your singing in your celebration but that day's not yet uh, but that day will come and until that day it is jesus who we focus on it is loving one another and including as many as we can that we're focusing on and encouraging one another and staying together It's not just about what I want or you want, it's about this church family together and loving one another, which is what makes our community so special. Now for those who are really itching to do something, can we do something physical, that lovely um, outdoor uh, picnic we did, I just want to say to you, we are working hard on exploring some creative ways, uh, particularly in the advent time, where we might be able to gather in different ways and do some things that will really help folks that are uh, in need of that more physical gathering. Um, So just watch out for that. Thanks for Listening to that bit of my heart, really. And in one way, you might think, what's that got to do with uh, the story this morning or the Bible? Well, I want to say to you that the thing that's holding us together in all of this and the thing that will hold us together is not a thing at all. It's a person. It's our Lord and our saviour, Jesus Christ. He's the one that pours out his spirit of unity, of joy, of patience, of humility, of honouring one another and of loving one another and walking together in all of this. And this morning, we're going to be focusing again on Jesus just for the next 15, 20 minutes. And I want to talk to you this morning about one of my favourite Jesus stories. It's not my total favourite. That's the calming of the storm. Uh, and we'll talk about that in a few weeks time. I've, I've put myself down to preach on that. So I'm excited about that. But this is one of my most favourites. Um, we had two readings this morning by Jane and that was right. But I realised I just want to focus on one this morning. And next week in our family service, we're going to focus on the second story. And the first story, speaking of childhood memories, is one of the ones that I totally remember being read as a kid by my parents, because it's one that sticks in your mind. Think about the stories in the Bible that stick in your mind as a kid. Daniel and the lion's den, I could picture the drawing of the lions. Ah, And then suddenly they're friendly with him and he's snuggling next to them like that's brilliant. And Noah's Ark and all the others. But this was one of them. Jesus in a house that's so full and so squashed four determined friends bring their friend who is paralyzed on a mattress and they climb up the stairs and they rip a hole and they lower him down and Jesus heals him and he gets up and he jumps and he shouts look uh, it's a story that I'm still reading to my children I remember it being read because it's such an iconic one. Look, here's, for example, the children's story Bible I've got here. There it is. Their friend's lowering down this hole in the roof so that their friend could see Jesus. And there he is up on his feet, jumping and dancing. It's such an amazing story. But actually, there's more to this story. And first meets the eye, because the most significant thing in this story actually can't be drawn in those kids' story books. It's not the hole in the roof, although that's so cool. It's not the lowering down of the man, although that's so cool, and for a child you're like, yeah, that's awesome. It's not even the bit at the end where the man gets up and is healed and is jumping around, although that bit is so precious and so awesome. The most important thing we discover in this story is about who Jesus really is that he's not just a teacher or even a healer but he is in fact the sinner's savior the sinner's savior well let's have a look at this story and let's start by looking it through child's eyes if you like if you would with me and i want to start with the growing excitement if you could bring that up richard The story starts with people hearing that Jesus was nearby. His fame was so enormous now. We read in the previous chapters, partly the leper's fault. The leper was healed. He said, don't go around telling everyone. And he at that time didn't want to be just known as this sort of miracle showman. He wanted people to understand deeper who he was. But hey, the leper went round, told everyone anyway. And now Jesus, even when he wanted to be on his own, couldn't get space alone. People were always crushing in. And he turns up at this home. People find out and people are absolutely crushing to get in. We read that there were such large numbers in the house where Jesus was that n- there was no room left, not even outside the door. And he preached the word to them. They were so eager to see this wonder worker that they were squeezing in to get a glimpse. I don't know if you've ever been to London pre-pandemic and gone on the underground at rush hour. And and you cannot believe how many people are in that train. Literally people are like this and like in somebody's armpit and in somebody's elbow and and sort of squashed in. And someone's got half their leg out the door and then the door's closing. You go, oh, and then somebody else, quickly puts a hand in, stops the door, opens it. And then they squeeze in. You think, surely there can't be anyone else on this train. And it was like that. They were rammed in to see Jesus. It's an amazing scene. What's going to happen? They want to see what this wonder worker is going to do. And they were all with bated breath. What's Jesus going to do next? Let me see. No, let me hear. Let me get out of the way. I need to see Jesus. This moment is full of such potential and tension and excitement when you read it as a child and even as an adult. And as we read, the tension, the excitement only rises. For now, four men come carrying a man on a mat, presumably their friend or relative, someone who was unable to work, someone who was paralysed. And they had one thing in their mind. Get him to Jesus, the wonder worker, the miracle man, the healer, the teacher. Now, we have no backstory. Mark doesn't give us much details. It's one of his characteristics as he writes the gospel. He just paces it through, as we said. But it doesn't take much to imagine just how painful and difficult this paralyzed man's life had been. How often he probably had prayed for healing, just to have his hopes dashed. But we do know also in his culture just how difficult everyday life would have been. Without medical care, without any form of social security, how he would have been ostracised, excluded, judged and to earn or be accepted in society at that time. He would have been considered an outcast who had no hope. But hey. He had these four friends who had not given up on him. And now there was this glimmer of hope. Jesus was once again nearby and they weren't going to miss the opportunity. The great healer was here. So with a mix of desperation and faith, his friends have decided they're going to take him to Jesus. But of course, they couldn't. The house was rammed. And so we're told they come up with this brilliant plan. Uh, they're presumably the only people that have ever come up with this plan because it's the only time recorded in the gospels. There is a flat roof above as there would have been back in that day, accessed probably by steps or a ladder externally. And this flat roof would have been hot and dry and sealed by, by mud, um, sort of twigs and mud all sealed to keep it, uh, weatherproof. But it's where they would have dried figs and raisins and maybe even sleep up there in the summer when it was so hot. But for them, they were there on this roof for one reason, to make a hole in it to see Jesus. And so they began to pull at the dried mud and the branches that held the roof together and now they make a hole big enough to lower their friend down. You can imagine the people inside looking up going, what on earth is going on? Will you stop that? Send someone up there, stop them doing it. For goodness sake, as bits of twigs and mud start falling on their heads and maybe even on Jesus's head you can imagine people would not have been impressed. Stop it. Clear off. We're trying to listen to Jesus here. But the men were so determined, so full of faith, they kept going. If anyone was going to stop them up there, they were just pushing them off. Leave us alone. We need to get into Jesus. And with all that determination and faith, they finally lowered their friend down through the hole on the mat that he was lying on. They had done it. They had made it. He lay there now in front of Jesus. It all builds to this huge moment of crescendo and anticipation. There he was lying there in front of the healer. All eyes were on him and all eyes were on Jesus. What would Jesus do? Would Jesus heal him? Well, the truth is what happened next could, through the eyes of a child, be considered an enormous anti-climax. Like the ending of so many Netflix films I have watched, you get to the end and you go, was that it? Are you kidding me? That was not the ending I was hoping for. That was a waste of time because we read at first when Jesus saw their faith and determination, he said to the paralyzed man, son, your sins are forgiven. Is that it? Is that it? After all they've gone through? You get the impression that if the story finished here, they'd have walked away disappointed. And indeed, from a child's perspective, we probably think that nothing really much has happened at all. I could say that. You could say that, right? But actually, we need to realise that the single greatest moment of all in that man's life had just taken place. In that moment, he had been forgiven. In that moment, Jesus declared he was now no longer separated by God, from God, by his sins. Totally unconnected to his paralysis. It's quite clear the two things are unconnected here by the way Jesus deals with them. His friendship with the one who made him and loved him was now in that moment (laughs) restored. And actually far from being an anticlimax, this moment caused the height of indignation from those uh, religious scholars probably come to check out Jesus and check out this sort of celebrity healer for them who got an inkling of what he was suggesting by saying this. This was utter blasphemy. How dare he talk like this? Only God can forgive somebody their sins. Indeed, Scripture says that so clearly. They were right. It is God alone who has the authority in the book of Isaiah to declare, I, even I, am he who blots out your transgressions for my own sake and remembers your sins no more. This is God language. But now Jesus was saying, it. son, your sins are forgiven. Can you hear it? Can you hear just how huge this moment actually was? in one short sentence Jesus was actually declaring that he had the authority of God and the truth is he does because don't doubt it for a moment if you're tuning in this morning Jesus has the authority to forgive sins he's not just a great teacher though he is or some gifted healer Though full of the Holy Spirit, he exercised the healing ministry like no one else has ever before or since. He is not just an inspirational historical figure or a modern day inspiration for us. He is not just a mighty prophet or even some great archangel, as some would argue and try to defend. No, the Bible makes it utterly clear. Let us not doubt it. He is the one through whom and for whom all things were made. He is the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. The one who is eternally always there with the Father. Jesus is the one who blots out our transgressions and remembers our sins no more. He is the sinner's saviour. And if he were simply a man, the charge of blasphemy was totally and utterly deserved. But here in this crowded house 2000 years ago, stood the one who had eternally existed as one with the Father and the Spirit, our triune trinity, God. The one who came from heaven to step into our broken world was now standing here before this man. He was the one who lived the utterly perfect life that we could not live, but then chose to die The brutal and awful death that we deserved so that all of our sin and shame and all of our mess and guilt could be put on him and be paid by him. And the punishment the Bible says that we deserve was taken on by him. Yet even death itself could not hold back this one who had declared these words. Death could not hold back Jesus. He chose to lay down his life, we read, and then he took it back up, rising again to life, vindicating to all beyond doubt that all authority in heaven on earth was his. He was who he said he was. And that authority will forever be his to the glory of the Father. And so at his word, in that short little sentence spoken, would you just pop the sentence back up for me, Richard? something colossal actually just happened son your sins are forgiven this man's life is transformed forever as the weight and the darkness and guilt and chains of his sins are now gone and he is made an accepted and loved child of god It was too enormous for anyone there to truly comprehend what had just happened in that moment. I certainly didn't get the weight of it as a kid, but almost everyone who was there would have missed it. But for those who even got an inkling that he might be hinting at that, they rejected it wholeheartedly as deluded and dangerous nonsense. Yet Jesus simply says to them, which is easier now? It's a beautiful moment to say to this paralyzed man, your sins are forgiven or to say, get up, take your mat and walk. And I want you to know that the son of man has authority on earth to forgive sins. So he said to the man, I tell you, get up, take your mat and go home. And he got up and he took his mat and he walked out in full view of them all. And this amazed everyone. And they praised God, saying, we have never seen anything like this. In this most wonderful conclusion of the story, Jesus proves that when he speaks, all heaven and earth moves, just as in the beginning in Genesis. When the word of the Lord is declared, it becomes, it happens. And that's the same today. When he speaks today, it still happens. When he declares something, it is true. When he says, breakthrough occurs. One word from him can still transform a life forever can transform your life and my life it has already transformed mine get up he says and the man does and this is the point that the people are amazed this is the moment that they were all coming for this is the moment to see the great spectacle the healer at his best but we are reminded in this moment that our physical health matters to God and I want to say to you your mental health matters to God Emotional health matters to God, too. Indeed, as Christians, we're told in the Bible to pray for healing, to believe for healing. And Sometimes, as we heard last week in Catherine's testimony, God breaks in in the most amazing way and we see healing just like that. We must not ever doubt in miracles or healing or the touch of God's spirit that sets us free from pain and bondage and gives us a peace all Above all, a peace beyond understanding. These are all experiences that we as Christians can enjoy as foretaste of the kingdom to come, breaking in now. And so we press in as God's people and as a church, as Creech Baptist Church. We press in to see more and we pray, knowing that prayer is powerful and that the name of Jesus has authority to break every chain. And we trust and we wrestle. And sometimes we see great breakthrough. Yet sometimes we still don't. For we also know we live in a time when the fullness of God's kingdom is not here yet. And so for many of us, for many of you, we just keep trusting. Even through the struggle, even through the disappointment or the pain. Yet as we keep trusting Jesus, we discover something amazing that God's love and his grace is sufficient for us. That he is still and remains and ever will be our strength and our presence and our comforter and our joy and our peace who gets us through each day and each season until we see him face to face and he wipes every tear from our eyes. And there is no more illness or dying or suffering for the old things will have gone and the new things will have come. These words are true, Jesus says. Write them down, he says in Revelation, and because he said that they will be. In this moment, in this story and in our own life experiences, we see again and realise again that the truth of God's goodness and his faithfulness, the truth and the reality of our salvation does not depend on the breakthroughs that we can see only with our eyes. Indeed, here in this amazing story, Jesus makes it clear that God's love for a person and his desire and ability to totally forgive them does not depend on their physical health. I think Jesus could have stopped right there. But God's utter, complete and saving work when he died on that cross, we must realise, does not depend on me or you seeing a visible miracle today or not. But hey, we love it when we do and we celebrate and we push in for more. Indeed, the simple truth, though, at the heart of the gospel is that when Jesus declares over me, Matt, I am forgiven, then I am forgiven. And when he declares over you that you are forgiven, you are saved, then you are forgiven and you are saved. And this is the single most wonderful and significant miracle in any of our lives, the miracle of salvation, where a life is transformed eternally and forever. You see, our sin really does matter, friends. It's not popular to talk about it. We like to be a little more comfortable with how we say things in today's context and I understand that but the Bible makes it clear our state our sin without Jesus separates us from God no matter how good or kind or lovely we might be and the good things that we do it's not about that our state is one of separation because of sin there is a vast gulf a void An uncrossable canyon between us because of our sin, because of our rebellion. It simply means we cannot be in relationship with a holy and perfect God, even though he still loves us and loves this whole world more than we could ever imagine. He made us in our in his image He delights in us, yet sin simply is the poisonous and wretched and tragic divide between us. When you come in faith and say to Jesus, when you come to him, the sinner's saviour, and you put your trust in him, and you surrender to him, and you repent and say, without you, Lord, I'm lost. When you say, I want to turn around from my rebellion and doing things my way. When you say, Jesus, I get it. I understand what you did on that cross for me, and I want to give my life to you now. Come and be my Lord and my Savior. Then in that moment, you are forgiven, and the divide is gone because that sin is gone. The Amplified Bible emphasizes it like this in Ephesians 1 7. In Him, Jesus, we have redemption. That is our deliverance and our salvation through His blood which paid the penalty for our sin and resulted in the forgiveness and complete pardon of our sin in accordance with the riches of his grace in that moment the chasm is gone the void is closed the sin the wretched stench of it is gone forever because it was paid for it was all on jesus on that cross Friends, if you're tuned into this this morning and you're somewhere still exploring who Jesus is, even if you've been to church for many years, I want to say to you this morning, this morning is the time to say yes to Jesus and to know for yourself the greatest miracle that will take place in your life. The miracle of salvation, the miracle of being saved, of being forgiven and becoming a child of God. Can I really have a friendship with God? You might say, I want to say to you, the answer is yes, because of Jesus. Can I be saved? Yes. Can I really be forgiven? Yes. Yes, completely. But you have to turn to Jesus, the sinner's saviour. This morning, if you love Jesus, but you're struggling with realising that you are forgiven, If you have already prayed that prayer, if you've been following Jesus for many years, but sin and guilt still hold on to you or the or the sense of unforgiveness or shame or darkness still seems to haunt you or hurt you or hold you back. I want you to hear Jesus' words spoken over you today. Son or daughter, your sins are forgiven. Let it go. Its power is gone now because of Jesus. Be free. Understand this morning and celebrate from your hearts, friends, that we are forgiven. The creator and sustainer of all things has made it so and has declared it so. So I want to finish now as we are going to finish by singing an amazing song about our forgiveness and dwelling on it again and celebrating it again. I want to finish with two really interesting questions just briefly. man's forgiveness and the man's healing what did both of these things have in common well the answer is restoration his forgiveness brought restoration with God and his healing in that time in that place in that society brought restoration with his community because we often think that Jesus healing is just about being healed or the physical change but it wasn't Going right back to the story of this man's life, this healing will now have enabled him not just to walk, but to be accepted again in his society, to be considered uh, again with dignity in his society and to be restored to his community uh, and dignity and self-worth in his own eyes and in the eyes of others. But yet I want to say we must always remember he always had those things in the eyes of Jesus. He always deserved those things from others So Jesus here before him wasn't an outcast because of a disability. But here before him was someone truly treasured and loved by God. Someone made in his image. Someone who Jesus loved so much he would go to the cross to die for. It's a reminder to all of us who follow in the footsteps of Jesus, that we are always called to be a people who show others their true value, their dignity and their love, just as Jesus did, no matter who they are or what they're struggling with or what others in society may think or say about them. Jesus was trying to teach society back then that they got it all wrong. They thought if you had issues or a disability, then you were out. Jesus is saying no. He's helping them to see the value of the person. He's turning it on its head. This man was no less loved than anyone else. And he was also no more or no less in need of forgiveness than anyone else. Perhaps you struggle with an ailment. Perhaps you've been wrestling all your life, asking for healing, and you've not received that breakthrough. Perhaps it's something big. Perhaps you're bedridden. Perhaps it's just something that others can't notice, but it's something that you carry and struggle with. In fact, all of us carry something. I want to say to you, Jesus teaches us that each one of us, you are just as deeply loved as everybody else. And your salvation, your forgiveness has been declared utter and complete because of Jesus. And so as a community, we want to be a community that seeks to show and recognize that love and that honoring of one another above all else. And we'll be looking at that again next week. I'm excited by our family service. But my final question, and this is very short, is which if you'd been there, would you have been more impressed by? I wonder to me as a child, it was all about the man standing up and going, yes. And you know what? That was so significant. It transformed his life because he was included again and loved again. But I want to say, if church gets it right, that transformation, that miracle has even happened, even if we don't see it physically, because everyone is included and loved. But the thing that was even more significant, if I dare say it, was the thing that we can forget just how huge it is, that we are forgiven, even as we struggle, Even in the midst of this coronavirus pandemic, even though we don't know why God can't just flick his fingers and get it all sorted. We know. Even when our minds or our bodies may fail in this life, the enormous truth is that you and I are forgiven by God, even though we rebelled against him. Though our sins were like scarlet, they are now white as snow. Though they were red as crimson, they are like wool, son, daughter. Jesus says, never Ever forget what I've done for you. Your sins are forgiven. Our time is up, but let's pray for a moment and we're going to sing our final song. And I invite you in that song just to get right with God, just to take a moment now to realize again the enormity of what he's done for you, going to that cross for you and for me. To realise that it requires us to turn to him and to say, Jesus, forgive me. Jesus, I'm sorry. To repent, to turn around and to put our trust squarely in Jesus. To invite him into our lives and know in that moment, everything changes. You become a new creation, the Bible says. You are forgiven. I'm just going to lead this prayer and if you've known Jesus for a long time, I invite you to pray it. But I want to say especially to you this morning, if you're tuning in and you just sense as I'm speaking now, now is the moment. I want to say to you, there is an invitation from Jesus now this morning to pray this prayer for the first time and say, yes, I want to be forgiven. I want to be set free. I choose to follow Jesus for the rest of my life. You can do that right now. So let's pray together. My Lord and my God. I admit I have been wrong in not following you. I turn away from all my sin and I repent. Please forgive me. I believe, Jesus, that you paid the penalty for me on the cross and that you rose again from the dead to offer me new life. I commit myself to following you as my Saviour and Lord. I want your gift of life now and forever help me to love you by the power of the Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.